this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 100. Last week I made a comment about my iTunes playlist. And um, I'm, I was surprised by some of the hurtful comments I got after church about my music choices. But, but I, I have this, this um, just playlist on my computer. Some of you are familiar with this. I kind of just have it going in the background all week long while I'm working. I have 1,780 songs on this iTunes playlist. And it's mostly Christian. But I have everything from classical to country to Motown to oldies to bluegrass. Just, you just pretty much name it. But as I'm, I'm just working, you know, and I'll, it's just background noise, but I'll have, you know, Adele, and then Andre Crouch, and then Aretha Franklin, and then The Temptations, and then I'll, I'll have Merle Haggard come up. Don't, don't. Maynard Ferguson. Anybody know who Maynard Ferguson is? Oh, you cultured people. And then I'll, I'll have just a, you know, a, a Chris Tomlin song will come on, and then, and then Ray Charles and Van Morrison. I'm, I'm just really not listening, except I've got a lot of Christmas songs on my playlist. And I've got some great, I probably have a hundred Christmas songs, and, and I have some really good ones. If you've never heard Luther Van Ross sing the Christmas song, come on. Amen goes there. But all year long, when one of my Christmas songs come up, I just click to the next song. I skip it. But now, we're kind of getting into the season. When is it legal to start listening to Christian music? When, what is the date? What's the cutoff? Now? Some of you said August. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But here's what I've been thinking. On my iTunes playlist, I have... You know, patriotic songs for the 4th of July. I've even got a couple of autumn songs. But I don't have any Thanksgiving songs. Is that, is that a thing? Is there any such thing as Thanksgiving songs? Why don't we have Thanksgiving songs? There's something wrong here. Well, i got great news for you. The Bible has a whole book full of Thanksgiving songs. It's called Psalms. And they're literally songs of thanksgiving to God. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to make them thanksgiving songs. And we're going to see what we can learn about this. And the first one we're going to look at is Psalms 100. You've got to understand that in ancient Israel, in their worship gatherings, worship was huge. It was a massive part. And the Psalms was literally their hymnal. And when I look at the Psalms, it just it blows my mind to think that Jesus sang these songs. This is what they used. So we're going to look at these. The, the, in fact, Psalms 100, probably if you have a heading in your Bible, it says this Psalm for giving thanks. So let's figure out what God has in mind when He's thinking Thanksgiving. Are you with me? Psalms 100, look at verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We're His people, the sheep of His pastures. 
Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, throughout Scripture, God's people are commanded to worship Him. And on the surface, that seems a little odd. Why does God require that people worship Him? Does He have an ego problem? Is He insecure somehow? But God commands all of us to worship based on two realities. And we see it right here in Psalms 100. Number one, the Lord is God. And number two, the Lord is good. So let's talk about these. The Lord is God. That's just a fact. It's undeniable. Now, I hear unchurched people say, you know, I like Thanksgiving, but it, because it doesn't have all the religious overtones. You know, Christmas and Easter, that's so Jesus-y. But Thanksgiving, that's just about family and food and, and getting together. Well, wait a minute. Where do you think all the, the blessings came from? In fact, if we look at this kind of word by word almost, the first one, I'm going I'm to do this first one back to front. The psalmist makes Thanksgiving universal. In other words, Shout for joy is not just for Israel. It's not just for the church. It's not just for God's people. Everybody ought to shout to the Lord. And that's kind of strange until you realize that God has revealed Himself to all creation. And therefore, He calls all creation to acknowledge that. Now, I have friends that are atheists. And if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, we want you to know that we're thrilled that you're here. You're welcome to worship with us. But a lot of these atheists say to me, well, I can't give thanks to God because I don't believe in God. Why would I shout to, to joy for the Lord? I don't believe God created anything. In fact, I don't even believe there's a God. But God says you do. And the truth is, atheists don't, they don't, it's not that they don't know the truth, it's that they suppress the truth. This is Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what, they, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what was made so that people are without excuse. Let me illustrate this for you. When we had trunk or treat a couple of weeks ago, those of us that were sitting our trunks up outside the gym were kind of looking back toward the church building and we were, we were struggling because the sun was right in our eyes. We are like, man, I wish the sun would hurry up and go down. Well, when the sun finally went down beyond the horizon, we had the most beautiful sunset. It was a gorgeous day. The weather turned out beautiful. And it was just the most amazing sunset. And it seemed to me like it just lasted on and on and on. Well, here's my question. If I had a blind man standing next to me and he could not see that sunset, would that make the sunset any less beautiful? Well, here's another way to think about it. I, I'm, I don't know anything about science. I think I make that evidently clear to you every week when I stand up here. But, but I can't explain to you the physics of a rainbow. I understand prisms and light and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know why a rainbow looks like it does. Does that make it any less beautiful because I don't understand? No. 
I've told you before, when Roger and I were in high school, we got to go to Europe with our high school band. And I remember standing, we arrived late in the afternoon to Lucerne, Switzerland, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And stood at the base of the Swiss Alps and is looking up at these majestic mountains, just awesome. I couldn't wait to get out in the morning and look at them again. But when we came out in the morning, you couldn't see them because they're created, they're shrouded by fog. Couldn't see at all. Was the beauty still there? Because we couldn't see it? Was the beauty gone? No, the point is, even if we don't understand, even if we can't see it, even if it doesn't make sense, God is worthy of our praise. Therefore, we shout for joy to the Lord. And the truth is, all of us, no matter where we are in relationship with the kingdom, we offer praise. We all worship. What we worship depends on what we value. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we have a lot of college football fans around here. And you can tell what's important to them by listening to what they're talking about. Um, C.S. Lewis argued that God doesn't need our worship. Um, He's not in need somehow. In fact, we need Him. He doesn't need us. But this is what C.S. Lewis says in his Reflections from the Psalms. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flower, mountains, stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovelier? Wasn't it glorious? Or don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everybody to praise God, is doing what all men do when they speak about what they care about. The point is, you spend any time with anyone, it doesn't take long to discover what they love by what they talk about. So what is it that people would say that you care about? What would people say is important to you? I believe the psalmist is saying there's great beauty in the world and we're grateful for that. That's a product of the Lord's creativity. But the most appropriate response to that beauty is worship. Thanksgiving. Let me also say that in the world, in our culture, when we think Thanksgiving, it's about gratitude. It's about a feeling that we put on. Biblically, Thanksgiving is about worship, responding to God. So the obvious question to us is, what does that look like? What does biblical Thanksgiving look like? Look at the next verse. Verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. So we see... There is a biblical predisposition of worship, and it's joy and gladness. Alistair Begg says, Thanksgiving is not an overflow out of experience, but an expression of our faith. In other words, worship is not subjective. Let me me tell you what I mean. Sometimes, when I stand up here before you on Sunday morning, 
I feel like singing. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory. But then there are other times when I stand up in front of you and I sing, I have a headache and I don't want to be here, don't want to be here. And I feel like a hypocrite because I'm smiling and I don't want to be here. You know what I'm saying? But worship isn't subjective. It has nothing to do with our feelings. In fact, we, we've gone through this last couple of generations something we call the worship wars. Where people would decide on a church or leave a church based on this type of singing or that style of worship. And, and that all revolves around our preferences. And there's nothing wrong with having preferences, but can you see that has nothing to do with worship at all? God is worthy. No matter what we sing, no matter what music sounds like, God's still worthy of praise. Worship is not an overflow of our experience and it's an expression of our faith. And another thing. Congregational singing seems to be falling out of favor in the contemporary church. The singing from my childhood is pretty much extinct. Now, it seems like the favored method in church is way more kind of performance where we have gifted singers that stand up here and sing and all the rest of it just kind of listen. You don't hear the people raise their voices much. But the truth is the Bible commands us to sing because singing together connects us. Doctrinally, and communally. I love, you guys know that I love to read about World War II, and it just, it's crazy to me that these 18 and 19 year old men from all over the country would get in trucks together to drive toward the front, the battle lines, and they would sing together. Not worship songs, just songs that they knew. And they would raise their voices and sing to the top of their lungs because it connects us. Sing loudly, the Bible says. That's valid. There'll be a quiz on this in a minute. So, And another thing. Verse 2 speaks of preparation and anticipation. It tells us how we're supposed to come before the Lord. Do you see that? How we approach worship. I mean, you think about it, guys. We're coming in here on Sunday mornings to together corporately honor the Creator of the universe. And beyond that, He's our King. Would we not prepare to come? Here's another illustration. I say this all the time, forgive me. Thanks for continuing to laughing at my lame jokes, but I tried to come up with a good illustration and I couldn't, so here's the one I came up with. A couple of months ago, David called me and invited me to play golf. Now let me just say, that if you don't know, David and Tana were in my youth group many, many years ago. So before David could even drive, I would go pick him up. I had a Volkswagen convertible, and I would go pick him up, and we'd go play golf. And he was a great golfer even as a kid. But a couple of months ago, he said, hey, I'm playing with Tana's brother down in Blanchard. Can you come? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I really, I'm not sure I can get away with my skin. Ah, oh, come on. So I ended up, I'd rushed down there. I couldn't play the whole mile. I said, I'd just catch him on the back nine. So I just caught him on the back side of the golf course. And I just wore the clothes that I'd been working on. And I, I grabbed an old raggedy golf ball out of my bag. It was all scuffed up. You know, they're white when they're new. This one was kind of khaki colored. And it was really bad. And I played terrible. But I love David. And I love golf. But I didn't prepare. 
On the other hand, a couple of weeks ago, Rob, my buddy, invited me to go to Branson to a missions golf tournament. I mentioned this to you. And it's, it was kind of, it's a Ryder Cup format where Oklahoma had a team and other states had teams. And we were going to play two golf courses. One is called Buffalo Ridge, which is a Tom Fazio design. And any golfers know what that means. And the other one is called Payne's Valley. And it's, it was built by Tiger Woods. And it's unbelievable. I brought some pictures just so you can see what this thing looks like. So I couldn't wait to get up there and play these golf courses. So I actually went out and practiced. I actually bought new golf balls. I took my old raggedy golf clubs down and had new grips put on them. And I played much better than I did that day with David. Why? Preparation. Anticipation. So if we're coming on Sunday morning to come together into the presence of God, to acknowledge Him and honor Him, would it be rational to prepare our minds and hearts to come into His presence? I think it would. And in fact, some of you leave on Sunday morning disappointed. And you say, man, Randy was boring today. And the service was too long. And worship was lame. Could it have anything to do with your lack of preparation? And anticipation? So I'm just saying, if we're going to worship the God of the universe... If we're coming to the presence of our King, how could that ever be boring? How could that ever be disappointing? It's not His fault. Alright, going on. Verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We're His people, the sheep of His pasture. Yeah, Randy, I know that the Lord is God. Ah, wait a minute. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I think it's fascinating if this word know in Hebrew, is the word yada. And it means intimate relationship, I mean, intimate knowledge of and relationship with. It does not mean intellectual understanding. This word know does not mean to perceive. Let me tell you how you can, how you can measure here. Genesis 4.1 says this, Now Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. That word know there is yada. It doesn't get more intimate than that. So when the, when the psalm says, know that the Lord is God, it doesn't mean, okay, I understand, I perceive. No, this is an intimate knowledge of and relationship with. Know that the Lord is God. It also says, know that the Lord is God. God is. God is alive. God exists. God is active in the world today. Our God is not a philosophy. He is not a, an idol made by the hands of men. He's not some small de deity God. The Lord is God. This is really significant. I've heard theologians call this the isness of God. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You see, the truth is, there are very few in this culture that know that the Lord is God. You know why? Because we're narcissists. We're all about ourselves. We're about making ourselves comfortable. And what we're actually saying is, I am God. I am the center of my universe. And this is an attitude that's celebrated in our culture and put forward and fostered on social media. Something I hear a lot, and it breaks my heart. I hear people say, well, you know, 
I just got to find myself. I need self-realization. I need to figure out who I am. Psalm says who you are. It's He who made us. Listen, nobody is self-made. I don't care how much money you've made. I don't care how big a business you've built. You are not self-made. He made us. We're His. We're His people and the sheep of His pasture. That's who we are. His identity is God. Our identity, we are His. He made us. Okay, so in this Thanksgiving song, verse 1 is the Lord is God. Verse 2 is the Lord is good. Look at verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. The band just sang about this a minute ago. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I'm wrapping this up, but think about this with me. The Lord is good. This is the Hebrew word tob. And there's not hardly a more common word in Scripture. More than 800 times you find this word tob. And it means pleasant and beneficent and agreeable. And His love... And this is the word hesed. Usually, hesed is translated as mercy into the English. But here it's, it's love or loving kindness. And the thing about God's love is that it's, it's um, His demeanor. It's His, His, His outlook. This is who He is. And His faithfulness. Imunah in the Hebrew. It means fidelity and steadfastness. God's unchangeableness. So His, His love... His kindness and His his unchangeableness. This is the isness of God. Look at it. Endures forever. It continues through all generations. See, this is way beyond, well, God's consistent. No, it's who He is. This is His nature. Thanksgiving is an American holiday. And I'm grateful for Thanksgiving. But the idea is we commemorate those Plymouth pilgrims who invited their Native American friends together for a meal. And, and since then, since the 1600s, Thanksgiving has been commemorated on and off. But in 1893, I'm sorry, 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the day of Thanksgiving in America. If you can imagine this, right in the darkest heart of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said, we need to stop for a day of national Thanksgiving. Here's a little piece of the proclamation from that day. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. But Thanksgiving in 2022 is about food. 90% of Americans have turkey. Thanksgiving is about charitable outreaches. And thank God for that. To us, Thanksgiving is about family gatherings and parades and sports. And I'm sincerely grateful for all of it. But according to Scripture, Thanksgiving is so much more than a holiday. From a biblical perspective, Thanksgiving is an attitude, a posture of acknowledgement to the Creator God. So, this Thanksgiving, I want us to refocus our attention, and our affection on God. And sincerely remember who He is. He is God and He is good. Now why is that important? Do you realize that most of our brothers and sisters around the world were not born in America? 
Most Christ followers in the world don't have enough to eat. They live under the constant threat of persecution and imprisonment. In fact, most of our Christian brothers and sisters had to reject their family, had to walk away from their family in order to follow Jesus. And still, they sing, the Lord is God and the Lord is good. All right, let me close with this. I can't get my head around verse 3. Look at it one more time. It's He who made us, and we are His. We're His people and the sheep of His pasture. The one who created everything knows me and cherishes me. Now what am I going to do with that? Jesus refers to Himself as the Good Shepherd. We know He's the one who left the 99 who were safe in the sheepfold to go out after the one and would not rest until He brought that one back and they had a party together for the one who was saved. Is that reason enough for Thanksgiving? God describes Himself as a potter in Jeremiah in the Old Testament and Romans in the New Testament. This, this craftsman who agonizes over the creative process, the shaping process. We are the clay. I remember as a little kid making a piece of clay pottery. I was going to say artwork. That would not be accurate. A piece of clay pottery from my mom. And if I, if I remember correctly, I think it was an ashtray. Hey, Mom, I made an ashtray. Well, thank you. We needed an ashtray really bad in this house. Thank you so much. But she fussed over it as she should. Oh, that's so nice. I'm going to put it right here where people can see it. I'm not sure how long it stayed there. I know it went away at some point. I don't know what is the statute of limitations for saving kids' artwork. I'm not sure what that is. But this is what I want you to understand. If God is the potter and we are the clay, He never discards His work. Why? Because He's good. He's good. He makes no mistakes. And I want you to hear me. I don't care who you are. Listen to me. You are His. He made you. And I don't care what you're facing right now. I don't care what you're going through right now. God created you to be here now at this moment. He saw you in your mother's womb and He created you for this moment. Now you may be at the end of your rope and maybe you think you can't go another day. He's God, and He's good, and He makes no mistakes.